Chapter Five of The Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Five. At lunch, Piers was as silent as at breakfast. He hardly spoke save in answer to a chance question from Mrs. Hannaford. His face had an unwanted expression, a shade of sullenness, a mood rarely seen in him. Miss Derwent, whose animation more than made up for this muteness in one of the company, glanced occasionally at Otway, but did not address him. As his habit was, he went out for an afternoon walk, and returned with no brighter countenance, on the first landing of the staircase, as he stole softly to his room, he came face to face with Miss Derwent, descending. "'We are going to have tea in the garden,' she exclaimed, with the friendliest look and tone. "'Are you? It will be enjoyable. It's so warm and sunny.' "'You will come, of course.' "'I'm sorry. I have too much to do.' He blundered out the words with hot embarrassment and would have passed on. Irene did not permit it. But you have been working all the morning? Oh, yes. Since when? Since about, oh, five o'clock. Then you have already worked something like eight hours, Mr. Otway. How many more do you think of working? Five or six, I hope, Piers answered, finding courage to look into her face and trying to smile. Mr. Otway, she rejoined, with an air of self-possession which made him feel like a rebuked schoolboy, I prophesy that you will come to grief over your examination. I don't think so, Miss Derwent, he said, with the firmness of desperation, as he felt his face grow red under her gaze. I am the daughter of a medical man. Prescriptions are in my blood. Allow me to tell you that you have worked enough for one day and that it is your plain duty to come and have tea in the garden. So serious was the note of interest which blended with her natural gaiety as she spoke these words, that Piers felt his nerves thrill with delight. He was able to meet her eyes, and to respond in becoming terms. You are right, certainly I will come, and gladly. Irene nodded, smiled approval, and moved past him. In his room he walked hither and thither aimlessly, still holding his hat and stick. A throbbing of the heart, a quickening of the senses, seemed to give him a new consciousness of life. His mood of five minutes ago had completely vanished. He remembered his dreary ramble about the lanes as if it had taken place last week. Miss Derwent was still speaking to him, his mind echoed again and again every word she had said, perfectly reproducing her voice, her intonation. He saw her bright, beautiful face, its changing lights, its infinite subtleties of expression, the arch of her eyebrows and the lovely hazel eyes beneath, the small and exquisitely shaped mouth, the little chin so delicately round and firm, all were engraved on his memory, once and for ever. 
he sat down and was lost in a dream his arms hung idly all his muscles were relaxed his eyes dwelt on a point of the carpet which he did not see then with a sudden start of activity he went to the looking-glass and surveyed himself his tie was the worse for wear he exchanged it for another he brushed his hair violently and smoothed his moustache never had he felt such dissatisfaction with his appearance never had it struck him so disagreeably before that he was hard-featured sallow anything but a handsome man yet he had good teeth very white and regular that was something perhaps observing them he grinned at himself grotesquely and at once was so disgusted that he turned with a shudder away ordinarily he would have awaited the summons of the bell for tea but after making himself ready he gazed from the window and saw miss derwent walking alone in the garden he hastened down she gave him a look of intelligence but took his arrival as a matter of course and spoke to him about a flowering shrub which pleased her otway's heart sank what had he expected he neither knew nor asked himself he stood beside her seeing nothing hearing only a voice and wishing it would speak on forever he was no longer a reflecting reasoning young man with a tolerably firm will and fixed purposes but a mere embodied emotion and that of the vaguest swaying independence on another's personality olga hannaford joined them olga for all the various charms of her face had never thus affected him but then he had known her a few years ago when as something between child and woman she had little power to interest an imaginative boy whose ideal was some actress seen only in a photograph or some great lady on her travels glimpsed as he strayed about geneva she in turn regarded him with the coolest friendliness her own imagination busy with far other figures than that of a would-be government clerk just as tea was being served there sounded a voice welcome to no one present that of lee hannaford he came forward with his wonted air of preoccupation a well-built man in the prime of life carefully dressed his lips close-set his eyes seemingly vacant but in reality very attentive a pinched ironical smile meant for cordiality after greetings he stood before miss derwent's chair conversing with her a cup of tea in his steady hand his body just bent his forehead curiously wrinkled a habit of his when he talked for civility's sake and nothing else hannaford could never be at ease in the presence of his wife and daughter if others were there to observe him he avoided speaking to them or if obliged did so with an awkward formality indeed he was not fond of the society of women and grew less so every year his tone with regard to them was marked with an almost puritanical coldness he visited any feminine breach of the proprieties 
with angry censure yet before his marriage he had lived if anything more laxly than the average man and to his wife he had confessed strange memory nowadays that he owed to her a moral redemption his morality in fact no one doubted the suspicions mrs hannaford had once entertained when his coldness to her began she now knew to be baseless absorbed in meditations upon bloodshed and havoc he held high the ideal of chastity and in company agreeable to him could allude to it as the safeguard of civil life when he withdrew into the house mrs hannaford followed him olga always nervous when her father was near sat silent piers otway with a new reluctance was rising to return to his studies when miss derwent checked him with a look what a perfect afternoon it is indeed he murmured his eyes falling olga are you too tired for another walk i oh no i should enjoy it do you think irene looked roguishly at her cousin mr otway would forgive us if we begged him to come too olga smiled and glanced at the young man with certainty that he would excuse himself we can but ask she said and piers to her astonishment at once assented he did so with sudden color in his cheeks avoiding olga's look so they set forth together and little by little piers grew remarkably talkative miss derwent mentioned his father declared an interest in jerome otway and this was a subject on which piers could always discourse to friendly hearers this evening he did so with exceptional fervor abounded in reminiscences rose at moments to enthusiasm his companions were impressed to irene it was an unexpected revelation of character she had imagined young otway dry and rather conventional perhaps conceited she found him impassioned and an idealist full of hero-worship devoted to his father's name and fame and he lives all the year round in that out-of-the-way place she asked i must make a pilgrimage to halls would he be annoyed i could tell him about his old friends at helsingfors he would be delighted to see you cried piers his face glowing let me know before let me write is he quite alone no his wife my stepmother is living irene's quick perception interpreted the change of note it would really be very interesting if i can manage to get so far she said less impulsively they walked the length of the great avenue at nonsuch and back again in the golden light of the west piers otway disregarded the beauty of earth and sky he had eyes for nothing but the face and form beside him at dinner made dull by hannaford's presence he lived still in the dream of his delight listening only when irene spoke speaking only when she addressed him which she did several times the meal over 
he sought an excuse for spending the next hour in the drawing-room but mrs hannaford unconscious of any change in his habits offered no invitation and he stole silently away he did not light his lamp but sat in the dim afterglow till it faded through dusk into dark he sat without movement in an enchanted reverie and when night had fallen he suddenly threw off his clothes and got into bed where for hours he lay dreaming in wakefulness he rose at eight the next morning and would under ordinary circumstances have taken a book till breakfast but no book could hold him for he had already looked from the window and in the garden below had seen irene panting with a haste he had made to finish his toilette he stepped towards her three hours work already i suppose she said as they shook hands unfortunately not one i overslept myself come that's reasonable there's hope of you tell me about this examination what are the subjects he expounded the matter as they walked up and down it led to a question regarding the possibilities of such a career as he had in view to tell the truth i haven't thought much about that said piers with wandering look my idea was i fancy to get a means of earning my living which would leave me a good deal of time for private work what literary work no i didn't think of writing i like study for its own sake then you have no ambitions of the common kind well perhaps not i suppose i have been influenced by my father's talk about that kind of thing to be sure he noticed a shrinking movement in miss derwent and saw that hannaford was approaching this dislike of the man involuntarily betrayed gave piers an exquisite pleasure not only because it showed they had a strong feeling in common it would have delighted him in any case for he was jealous of any human being who approached irene hannaford made known at breakfast that he was leaving home again that afternoon and might be absent for several days a sensitive person must have felt the secret satisfaction caused all round the table by this announcement hannaford whether he noticed it or not was completely indifferent certain letters he had received took most of his attention during the meal one of them related to an appointment in london which he was trying to obtain the news was favorable and it cheered him an hour later as he sat writing in his study mrs hannaford brought in a parcel which had just arrived for him ah what's that he asked looking up with interest i'm sure i don't know answered his wife something with blood on it i dare say hannaford uttered a crowing laugh of scorn and amusement through the afternoon piers otway sat in the garden with the ladies after tea he again went for a walk with olga and irene after dinner he lingered so significantly that mrs hannaford invited him to the drawing-room and with unconcealed pleasure he followed her thither when at length he had taken his leave for the night there was a short silence mrs hannaford glancing from her daughter to irene and smiling reflectively 
Mr. Otway seems to be taking a holiday, she said at length. Yes, so it seemed to me, fell from Olga, who caught her mother's eye. It'll do him good, was Miss Derwent's remark. She exchanged no glance with the others, and seemed to be thinking of something else. Next morning, though the sun shone brilliantly, she did not appear in the garden before breakfast. From a window above, eyes were watching, watching in vain. At the meal, Irene was her wonted self, but she did not enter into conversation with Otway. The young man had grown silent again. Heavily, he went up to his room. Mechanically, he seated himself at the table, but instead of opening books, he propped his head upon his hands, and so sat for a long, long time. When thoughts began to shape themselves, at first he did not think, but lived in a mere tumult of emotions, he recalled Irene's question. What career had he really in view? A dull, respectable clerkship, with two or three hundred a year, and the chance of dreary progress by seniority till it was time to retire on a decent pension? That, he knew, was what the civil service meant. The far, faint possibility of some assistant secretaryship to some statesman in office. Really, nothing else. His inquiries had apprised him of this delightful state of things, but he had not cared. Now he did care. He was beginning to understand himself better. In truth, he had never looked forward beyond a year or two. Ambition, desires, he possessed in no common degree, but as a vague, unexamined impulse. He had dreamt of love, but timidly, tremulously. That was for the time to come. He had dreamt of distinction, that, also, must be patiently awaited. In the meantime, labor. He enjoyed intellectual effort. He gloried in the amassing of mental riches. To follow knowledge like a sinking star, beyond the utmost bound of human thought. These lines were frequently in his mind, and helped to shape his enthusiasm. Consciously, he subdued a great part of himself, binding his daily life in ascetism. He would not live in London because he dreaded its temptations. Gladly, he adhered to his father's principles in the matter of food and drink. This helped him to subdue his body, or at least he thought so. He was happiest when, throwing himself into bed after some fourteen hours of hard reading, he felt the stupor of utter weariness creep upon him, with certainty of oblivion until the next sunrise. He did not much reflect upon the course of his life hitherto, with its false start, its wavering. He had not experience enough to understand their significance. Of course, his father was mainly responsible for what had so far happened. Jerome Otway, whilst deciding that this youngest son of his should be set in the sober way of commerce, to advance himself, if fate pleased, through recognized grades of social respectability, was by no means careful to hide from the lad his own rooted contempt of such ideals. 
nothing could have been more inconsistent than the old agitator's behavior in attempting to discharge this practical duty. That he meant well was all one could say of him, for it was not permissible to suppose Jerome Otway defective in intelligence, perhaps the outcome of solicitude in the case of his two elder sons had so far discouraged him that, on the first symptoms of instability, he ceased to regard Piers as within his influence. Piers, this morning, had a terrible sense of loneliness, of abandonment, the one certainty by which he had lived, his delight in books, his resolve to become erudite, now of a sudden vanished. He did not know himself. He was in a strange world, and bewildered. Nay, he was suffering anguish. Why had Miss Derwent disregarded him at breakfast? He must have offended her last night, and that could only be in one way, by neglecting his work to loiter about the drawing-room. She had respected him at all events. Now, no doubt, she fancied he had not deserved her respect. This magnificent piece of self-torturing logic sufficed to occupy him all the morning. At luncheon-time he was careful not to come down before the bell rang. As he prepared himself, the glass showed a drawn visage, heavy eyes. He thought he was uglier than ever. Descending, he heard no voices. With tremors, he stepped into the dining-room, and there sat Mrs. Hannaford alone. "'They have gone off for the day,' she said with a kind look, "'to Dorking and Leith Hill, and I don't know where.' Piers felt a stab through the heart. He stammered something about a hope that they would enjoy themselves. The meal passed very silently, for Mrs. Hannaford was meditative. She paid unusual attention to Piers, trying to tempt his appetite, but with difficulty he swallowed a mouthful, and, the meal over, he returned at once to his room. About four o'clock, he was lying on the bed staring at the ceiling. A knock aroused him. The servant opened the door. "'A gentleman wanting to see you, sir. Mr. Daniel Otway?' Piers was glad. He would have welcomed any visitor." When Daniel, who was better dressed than the other day, came into the room, Piers shook hands warmly with him. "'Delightful spot,' claimed the elder, with more than his accustomed suavity. "'Charming little house. I hope I shan't be wasting your time.' "'Of course not. We shall have some tea presently. How glad I am to see you. I must introduce you to Mrs. Hannaford.' "'Delighted, my dear boy.' "'How well you look! Stop, though, you are not looking very well.' Piers broke into extravagant gaiety. End of chapter 5